to recap last week, we talked about how when we have that moment in our lives of becoming a follower of Christ, all right, when we have that moment of trusting Jesus as our Savior, when we repent, when we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, when we begin a personal relationship with Jesus, that means a lot of things. Right? Like last week we looked at the screen that we are justified, we are forgiven. Like there's a, a list of things that come with becoming a follower of Christ. And one of the things that we really emphasized last week that we focused on that is often not talked about that much, especially in an entire sermon, is what it means to be a child of God. What it means to be adopted into the family, right? To be now a part of a different family, to have an identity change. Now our identity is in Christ. It is not in the world. It is not in our flesh. And so it's this beautiful picture of being moved in, right? Moved into the kingdom, moved into the family. We now belong to Christ, and we are a child. We are a son or daughter of the Lord, which is an incredible encouragement, right? Praise the Lord. And if you know the Lord, hallelujah. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, we are glad you're here. We love you, but we do pray that you would begin a personal relationship with Christ. And so taking that idea of being adopted, being a child of God now, how does that impact us in, in ways such as our needs, and what we need in our life, and what we're looking for, and where we need help. And so if you're taking notes, why don't you go ahead and write this down. It's the same as last week. In Christ, I am accepted, part two. In Christ, I am accepted, part two. And I do have some things that I want you to go home with tonight and take into the week with you. And as we do this, let me paint the picture before we look at Philippians 4. Let me paint the picture of what this is going to look like for us tonight. Let me give you the framework here. So everybody in this room has needs, right? If we're going to be honest, we all have needs. We have needs that come up that we realize throughout life, and then we have needs from day one, right? And so let's talk about the needs that all of us in this room experience, right? There's ones that all of us have, and then there's needs that are specific to us. First off, there's external needs, such as there's financial needs that we have in our life. There's physical needs, right? Like we need food. We need water. We need things to survive. We need oxygen, right? Like there are needs that we have that are external. We need educational needs, right? Like some of us are doing school, and we're looking to get an education, and we have a need where in order for us to do the career, that God's calling us to do, whether that be nursing or engineering or ministry, there's a degree, there's an education that must come with that, right? There's a need that comes there. And so there's external needs, right? Your car needs gas in order to go. We have needs. Now, there's also needs that are internal, right? There are needs that we have in our heart. There are needs that we have in our mind, such as love, fellowship. The Bible talks about how it's not good for man or woman to be alone, right? We were not created to be alone, we have needs such as love and fellowship and community. We have needs such as acceptance, right? The whole concept of what we're talking about for two weeks. Deep down, there is a need that we have to be accepted. Now, a pastor much smarter than me said one time that sin is taking a good need and meeting it in a bad way. Sin is oftentimes taking a good need and meeting it in a bad way, right? Sex is a good need. Outside of marriage is a bad way to meet it. Acceptance is a good need. We, we need to belong. Finding our belonging, finding our acceptance outside of Christ and in people is meeting a good need in a wrong way. Why? Why can I not just have the acceptance of my peers, of my loved ones? Because ultimately your loved ones will still fail. Am I right? You are a loved one to somebody. You have failed. I have failed. We all have. We will fail. So to put our acceptance upon a person is trying to meet a good need in a bad way. When you put that onto Christ, Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Christ does not fail. You are finding your acceptance in Christ. So we have needs. There's external needs that we have. There's internal needs that we have. But 
Not only that, I put on here that there's spontaneous needs we have, right? Life is tough. Crisis occurs. Sickness happens. Car wrecks happen, right? Like we have needs that come up throughout life that we didn't know about. You've known that you needed oxygen since the first memory of your life. You knew you needed to breathe. The very first time you were in a swimming pool and tried to come up for air and you couldn't, you have known that you have a need for oxygen. Well, John, to be honest with you, there's needs that you realize when you get to 24 that you didn't realize at 18, right? There are needs that come up that you start to realize as you go through life. I'll give you one that's really hard to realize at 18. Some of you maybe did. It's hard to realize at 18, but you realize it at 26. And that's the need to love and know your family really, really well. Not just for your benefit, but for theirs. Right? As you get older, when you're 17, when you're 18, your parents exist for you. Right? They exist to get you a car. They exist to help you through school. They exist to get you through college, which is good. Like They help meet your needs. But as you get older, as you get wiser, as you continue to grow, you start to realize that your mom and your dad and your siblings are human beings too, and they need love and encouragement from you. As you get older, you begin to realize that. As you have kids, you hear stories of parents who realize along the way how they can be a much better son or daughter after they had one. Right? There's needs that come up as we go through life as you go through seasons of your life. What I want to do tonight is I want to ask you, what are you going to do when those needs arise? Where are you going to turn to? You have all the options in the world to turn to meet your needs, all the options. In fact, your phone has made it super accessible to meet your needs in a sinful way, right? It's more accessible than ever to meet needs in a sinful way. In the world we're living in, in 2022, it's more accessible to meet needs in a sinful way than maybe in all of human history. So where do we go to meet those needs? Paul is going to give us a great promise from Scripture. But there's some conditions that come with this promise that I want us to look at. And so, if you will, I have a question of the night. I don't have a sermon in a sentence, but I do have a question of the night that I want to pose to you before we walk through this. And here it is. It'll be on the screen. Do you actually believe that God is capable and desires to meet all of your needs? Do you actually, truly, deep down believe that God is capable and desires to meet all of your needs? That's the question I want to ask tonight, and we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Now, as we look at the end of Paul's letter to Philippians, we know that he loved the church in Philippi. And he, as he's telling them of his appreciation for them showing their encouragement and their continued support, he turns to this, this final encouragement, this final promise of Scripture towards the Philippians that we get to embrace and walk in today that is pointing us to the character and the nature of God and how he desires to meet our needs. And so if you will, look with me at Philippians 4, verse 19. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says this, one verse tonight. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's read it one more time. Here's Paul's exhortation. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And Lord, we just ask tonight that as we turn our attention to you and how you provide for us and how you meet our needs, God, we ask that that you would allow us to trust you, Lord, empower us, strengthen us, encourage us to not turn to the world, but to turn to you. Lord, we, we are so surrounded by so many things that are pulling in our attention. 
God, help focus our eyes on you. Help focus our eyes on Jesus and the cross and the hope that we have. Lord, I pray tonight that if anybody in here is living without a personal relationship with you, that they would give their lives over to you, that they would trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. And then, Father, we pray that we would be changed after encountering you and your word, that your spirit would move in this place. So, Lord, we ask that you would do all that you can and only that you can, Lord, because we want you to speak every word tonight. Lord, we love you. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. I have a few things I want to give you, and here is the first one. If you're taking notes, point number one is this. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And aren't you grateful for that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. God has made promises, and God knows how to keep those promises. Now, there are so many promises made to us by God in Scripture. This one right here from Paul is just one of many. The question is, do we believe those promises? But there's an issue amongst the Christian community when it comes to God's promises. And it's not outlandish. It's actually very simple. The problem with believing the promises of God for a lot of Christians, if I can be very direct with you, is that we don't know the promises of God. Right? Like, if I can just be very, very honest and transparent with you, the reason why a lot of us do not walk around believing and practicing and trusting the promises of God is because we don't know them. It's hard to believe something you don't know. And the reason a lot of us in this room don't know the promises of God is because we don't know God's word where his promises come from. So if you don't know God's word, how can you practically, Abigail, seriously, not just Abigail, but everybody in this room, if you don't know the promises of God, how are you going to trust and live them out when you are at your workplace surrounded by lost friends who curse with every other word? How can you? It is substantially harder, if not impossible, to live out your faith if you don't know what God has promised you, if what God has said to you. So from the very beginning... We've talked about adoption and becoming a child of God. Tonight we're talking about God meeting our needs. Well, understand this. The greatest need that you have is the moment your eyes open in the morning to be with God. That need will not change. You don't outgrow that need. Hello. I guess I'll talk to these gigantic letters right here. You guys will never outgrow the need to spend time with God in the morning. I bet they'll give me an amen because they believe in being with the Lord. You will never outgrow being with the Lord in the morning. (laughs) It's this tug of war. It's this tension that we have as college students. We want God to do everything for us, but we don't want to do anything for God. Uh, Tonight might not be very fun for you. If this is your first time, I love you. I would love to meet you and explain tonight. But for the rest of you, it might not be very fun. We want God to do everything, and we don't want to do anything for God. We want God to meet our needs all throughout the day, but we won't give him a half hour in the morning. Why is that? A multitude of reasons that I experience just as you do. It's laziness. Woo, man. It's hard to get disciplined and to wake up in the morning and spend time with the, with the Lord when we have so many other things. It's distractions. The first minute you wake up, you have something on your mind and you're jumping to that. It's, it's a multitude of reasons. But let me tell you, if you have missed three or four days being with the Lord, it is not a game of making up those days. It is a game of just coming right back into the Lord's arms and he renews you and he restores you. But you have to believe that. But guess what? You don't believe that. You're walking around as a victim because you don't know God's word and you don't know God's promises. So you can't break this endless cycle that you and I find ourselves in. 
You can't believe the promises of God because you're not willing to go to the word and get in them and learn the promises of God. Let me get even clearer. You struggle to follow God because you don't really know who he is, his character, his attributes, what he's done for you, what he said to you, what he did for the Israelites, what Christ did to the leper that he encountered, what he did for the woman at the Samaritan well. You don't know who Christ is for you because a lot of us in this room don't know who he is in the Bible. Why? It's easy. It's not complex, but it's hard. It's because as human beings, our flesh wants to do everything our way and not God's way. When we break that and simply just start waking up in the morning, on the way to work, in your closet, at work, whatever you have to do, you don't have to have your Bible laid out, four different highlighters, index cards, a coffee cup, and an Instagram picture to have time with the Lord you can spend time with the Lord in the morning. So hear me, I'm telling you right now, as honest as I can, there's, there's not a greater need you're asking God to meet than to be with him in the morning. So if you have a financial need tonight, be with God in the morning first. You say, Daniel, that's outlandish. I've got to pay these bills. What am I going to do? Do you know what God has promised through scripture? Well, I mean, I read the Bible once at D now in 11th grade, so yeah, I know the promises of God. No, do you have an active, daily living, fresh relationship with God Almighty that is growing and thriving. Not perfect, but growing. You can. The God of the universe has made himself available to you. It's us who has not made ourselves available to him, which is really crazy to think about. So I have to pit stop. We got to pull over for a minute. We got to park the car. Your greatest need is simply being at the feet of Jesus. And that starts when your eyes open in the morning. And even when you go to bed at night. And even all throughout the day. So before we talk about any needs, hear me as clear as I can. Do I struggle to spend time with the Lord? Absolutely. My goodness, it's just as hard for me. I'm not a morning person and I don't drink coffee either. I have no other benefits helping me wake up. I don't have anything else going for me. I don't drink the energy drinks, nothing. It's just me. <laughs> but it comes down to do we have a desire? to really be with the Lord. So hear me as clearly as I can. Your need is to be with God. Now, let's build on that, right? We have a building block in place, prayer, the word. Let's build on that. There are so many promises from God in Scripture that will encourage your soul if you knew them. And one of them is the life verse that I have chosen to cling to, and it's Isaiah 41.10. You've heard it in probably every single sermon that I've preached, and it says this. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This verse reveals to us characteristics and attributes of our God. It, it allows us to know what we can trust and what we can believe when it comes to God. That you, and I'm not going to get all into this because we're going to get into it in a minute, but that you don't have a reason to fear. But if you don't know why you don't have a reason to fear, you will continue to fear. Not only that, I'll give you another one that we've covered just a few weeks ago. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says this, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace for it is trusting in you. Does God's word just tell us that about the mind that is dependent on perfect peace with no plans to back it up? No. It is trusting in you. Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, again revealing our Lord to us. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Do we see Jesus affirm the same thing to us in the New Testament? Absolutely. Do we see Paul affirm the same thing to us in the New Testament? Absolutely. And these are promises that you hold on to when you find yourself in a sticky situation. 
Now you look at, let's go back to our verse for the night. Paul in Philippians 4, 19. We just looked at three Old Testament promises, verses. Now look at what Paul says. Paul says, and my God will supply all your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. <laughs> your mind has a lot of needs, okay? Your mind needs the peace of God or your mind will not be able to function. And Paul says, God will meet all your needs, which means your mind, the needs you have can be met by the Lord if you're willing to submit your mind to the Lord, if you're willing to lay it down. Now, here's what's very fascinating about commitments and promises. I'll put this on the screen. I would love for you to write this down. The value of any commitment is based on two things. The first is this, the ability of the promise maker to fulfill the promise. Can the promise maker do what he or she has said they are going to do? Ability. Can you do it? Can you do it? Can they do it? But not only that, the integrity and character of the promise maker to follow through on the promise. Every commitment is based on these two things, ability and integrity. Now, let's look at these two through the lens of Scripture and think about this when it comes to the Lord. Because ultimately, when it comes to trusting God and living in a way where he is the one meeting your needs, what you think about God is going to determine that. A lot of us are familiar with the quote from Tozier. I brought it to put it on the screen with you. It says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Can I get an amen tonight? What you think about God will drive what you do with God, for God, with others, for others. What you think about when it comes to the Lord. And I'm going to get into some really fascinating stuff tonight. So first off, do you believe God has the ability? Can God do it? If you make someone a promise, but you don't have the ability to follow through, even if you meant well, somebody gets hurt. Do they not? If you make a promise and you can't follow through with it, Somebody gets hurt. It's funny, man, as I was thinking about this, the first place my mind went was the office. <laughs> I don't know if you watch the office. I've never seen it personally. But the, my mind, the first place I went when I thought, man, when's the time I've seen somebody make a commitment, but they didn't have the ability to follow through, but they meant well. I think you know the moment. Scott's tots. <laughs> Michael Scott finds himself in this terrible, terrible predicament, but he means so well, does he not? And if you're not familiar with The Office, I know Dakota is not. And so <laughs> Dakota's kind of like, okay, all right, here we go. If you're not, it's fine. You'll get the gist. But if you are, I'm sure that you will enjoy this. You'll remember Michael Scott so desperately wants to send kids to college, right? He wants to send children to go to college. And so as they are in elementary school, he promises them, hey, if you get a 3.0 or 2.5 above GPA, I'm going to pay for your college tuition, Right? 10, 12 years later go by. These kids grow up. He's forgotten about the promise. He gets a call from the school, and they say, hey, those kids grew up. They all got passing grades. They're going to college. Can you come pay for their tuition? Now, you can imagine the millions and millions and millions of dollars that would cost. And so Michael Scott shows up, and in this moment, instead of paying for their tuition, do you remember what he offers them? <laughs> Laptop batteries to take care of their, <laughs> their online needs. He's like, I can't pay for your books, but I can pay for the battery that will go to your laptop. And it's amazing because even though he means well in this moment, it's so stupid. He means so well. He's made a promise that he never wants and never would have the ability to follow through. And as goofy as that is, a lot of us in this room have experienced promises from other people that they were not able to follow through on. Let me tell you something. If you have experienced somebody make you a promise that they didn't have the ability to follow through on, it's your job to not project that onto God's character, not theirs. It's your job to understand that because people fail you does not mean the Lord will fail you. 
See, a lot of us experience hurt and trauma in our childhood. We experience people make promises to us, parents make promises to us, loved ones make promises to us, and they don't always follow through. And what happens is when we, we get grown, we subconsciously portray that onto the Lord as his promises possibly failing because people have failed us. And let me tell you, that's a very tiring way to live. God has never failed. He will never fail. But some of you are in here and you're like, Daniel, you don't know what I've been through. You're exactly right. I don't know what you've been through, but I know the God who knows what you've been through. I know the God that we learn about in Scripture. I know the God who has changed my life and who has probably changed your life if you know him in that way. And if you have experienced pain or loss, your heavenly Father does not fail, but you have to trust that. So when we look at God, we have to ask, does God have the ability to follow through on the promise that he's made? The fact that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth and has never failed proves to us that, yes, God can. (laughs) But you have to start believing that about God or you're going to continue to turn to other sources, believing they can. Because if you don't believe God can, you're going to turn to something else that can. Not only that, though, Let's talk about integrity. And there's something very fascinating about this. Do you believe in God's integrity to follow through on his promises? This is where it gets dicey for some believers. Because they, I believe God can meet their needs, they just don't believe he will. Sometimes we doubt God's desire or character to do what we need him to do. I, I, I found this very fascinating. You can say all day long that you believe God is good, but until you act like God is good, your life is not going to change. You can talk all day long that, man, God is good. God's good. But until you believe that, nothing's changing. Here's what's fascinating. Did you know that a survey asked many believers, Christians, watch this, you'll find this very fascinating. The first word that came to mind in reference to God, a a collection of believers, Dakota, they asked what's the first thing that comes to mind when they think about God. The answers weren't wrong for the most part. A lot of them said holy, absolutely true, righteous, just, eternal, A few said loving, forgiving, but near the bottom was good. Near the bottom was good. One pastor said this, it showed me that most people often don't seem to think of God as being good to them. I want you to really think about this tonight, Colossians. There's a lot of believers who don't really see God as being good to them. They understand he's holy and just in all these big terms, but ultimately they don't see him as being good to him. They see him as demanding, harsh. We see God as distant. We see him as far from us, and we struggle to see him as good to us and close to us, but his character has never failed. So I want to ask you, do you see God as being good, not just good in his nature, but good to you? Not what do you say, but what do you act upon? What do you believe when it comes to that? Like what we just sang earlier, every good gift, every good gift is from you. Like, do you believe that when you sing it? The people in your life, the blessings you have, the clothes you're wearing right now, the car you pulled up in, the the roof you're going to sleep under. Like, do you view those things as, oh, you just happened to get those or you earned those? Or do you view those things as, man, those are blessings and gifts and opportunities from God because he's good. And every good and perfect gift is coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Do you see God as good to you? If not, I'll be very honest with you. You will never turn to the Lord to be your provider. You will turn to anybody else who you think is good to you. And even if they are, they'll fail you. All of God's promises fall into two categories. I want to put this on the screen as well. If you're taking notes, here you go. There's unconditional promises, first and foremost. 
when we look at scripture, we find unconditional promises and we find conditional promises. Which means not every promise in scripture is the same. There are some promises, specifically in the Old Testament, that were unique and specific to certain people and people groups, such as Israel, that we apply differently today. That's a separate sermon. I'll get into that maybe another time, this or next semester. There's unconditional promises. And let's start there. In an unconditional promise, God states that he will do something regardless of human behavior. There are promises in Scripture, unconditionally, that no matter what we do, God is going to fulfill that promise. That no matter what, no matter what, if we win in cornhole over here, if we lose in cornhole over here, if we walk outside and praise the Lord, if we walk outside and don't pray, no matter what, there's promises in Scripture that's going to happen. What, what is one? We should do a Q&A night here. Get you guys talking. What is one? There it is. Boom. Exactly. I don't know who said it, but it's the first one in my notes. Praise the Lord. We're on the same wavelength. Who said that? Praise the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. Come find me afterwards. We're going to get you a gift card. This whole room quiet. You're speaking up, speaking the right answer too. I love it. Jesus is coming back. You think about this. He told the disciples he was returning no matter what they did. That's a little crazy to think about. That Jesus is coming back to this earth no matter what you and I do. That Jesus is coming back. If we burn the city down, if we build the city up, Jesus is coming back. Now, do you know how incredibly encouraging that is? That Jesus' return is not dependent on any man or woman in this world. He's coming back. And man, can I remind you of the parable about two in the field. One was taken, one was left. Two in the bed, one was taken, one was left. Where will you be when Jesus returns? Be a cool sermon series. Where will you be? What will you be doing? Where will I be? What will I be doing? A promise, Abigail, is it? I said your name twice tonight. I'm so sorry, Abigail. We're on the same wavelength. Jesus is coming back. What's another one? A promise from Scripture. This is good. We're going to do this more often. A promise from Scripture that is not dependent on man or woman. Yep, worldwide flood. I didn't have that one in my notes, Elijah, but that's fantastic. (laughs) Not have anything to add there, but I agree with you completely. Let me give you another one. I hear you guys. I like this. We're going to do this more often. Another promise in Scripture is that no matter what, Jesus told his disciples, he will not leave them. He will not forsake them. In fact, it's found in Matthew. I don't believe this will be on the screen. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, verses 18 to 20. Jesus said this. He came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm sorry that that verse wasn't up there. That's on me. I didn't turn that verse in. Jesus will be with us to the end of the age. He promised that to his disciples. Who are his disciples? You and me, if we know Christ, we are considered disciples. Jesus prayed for you. We will not be abandoned by the Lord. Jesus did not say, hey, go and make disciples, and if you don't, I'm out. If you do, I'll be with you. He didn't say that. He said, go, teach, baptize, make disciples. I will be with you no matter what. In fact, remember this as you go, that I will be with you. Let's pause. Let's pull over and park a minute. Does your life look like Jesus' great commission? Do you go anywhere besides the same old places that benefit you? Woo, man, I wish we had more time. Do you teach anybody the Bible? I'm just asking you questions that I needed somebody to ask me when I was 21 years old because I wasn't. Do you teach anybody what God is teaching you? Do you share the goodness of God with anybody else in your life? Because guess what? They want to hear it. 
Whether they let you know or not, they want to hear. Does your life look like the great commission that Jesus has given? If not, let's make some tweaks. Let's make some changes. Let's start following the Lord and obeying him. Jesus gives this promise that he will be with us even to the end of the age. There are promises in Scripture that are not dependent on you and me. We get to rejoice in those. We get to praise God in those. So when we do fail, when it comes to discipleship, when you sit down, and failure is not even dependent on you, when you sit down with somebody, and this happened, for a year and want to teach them the word of God, and they quit and they back out and they don't want to be a part of it, you still know Jesus is with you. If they know the Lord personally, Jesus is with them. When you get to a place where you struggle to read the word, Jesus is still with you. It's amazing. He will not leave you or forsake you. There are promises that are unconditional. But there are promises that are conditional. And we don't like this. We don't like this, that there's promises that have conditions to them. Why are there strings attached? It's for God's glory and your best interest. Amen? God gives promises that have conditions on them because it's for his glory and it's for your best interest. Let's talk about this. So in a conditional promise, you can write this down, God's actions are based in part on your response to God's commands. A conditional promise means that God's actions are based in part on your response to his commands. Here's where this gets dangerous. I can't emphasize this enough. Too often we take, watch this now, watch this. We've been building to this. We take God's conditional promises as if they're unconditional. And we're going to come back to Philippians 4.19. We take conditional promises and believe they're unconditional. That's simply not true. That's dangerous and it leads to disappointment. Let's look at Philippians 4.19 because this is a conditional promise. Did you know that? This promise has conditions to it. First off, Paul says, and my God. My God. Paul is talking about the family here. We talked about adoption last week. We talked about the family. Paul's talking about the family. This promise only, apply, only applies to the family. It only applies to the children of God. It only applies to those who, let's break this down, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That Paul's saying, hey, if my God, the God of the Bible, is your God, this promise stands for you. So understand, this promise does not go to unbelievers. And I love unbelievers. I have best friends that are unbelievers. But I know that this promise does not apply to them because my God is not their God. But if they choose to repent and believe in Jesus, they get a relationship with Jesus. They get a relationship with God. And they get to live in the promises and the blessings of God. There's a condition. And that's that God is your God. Personal. But then Paul says something else too. This verse does not just say, my God will supply all your needs. Period. There's something else in there, Goose. In Christ Jesus, according to his glory. That's the condition. God will not just meet all your needs to meet all your needs. God will meet all your needs in Christ Jesus for his glory. Which means your glory does not drive God to meet your needs. So when you and I have a career and we want $500,000 by 32 years old and we claim that's a need 
and we want to use it for selfish gain, this promise is not in effect for God to meet $500,000 for you to possess because that is not according to Christ Jesus for his glory. Maybe if you're going to use it for him, maybe I don't can't get into all that hypothetical scenarios, but understand this. If you have a need that is based on your glory, a desire that's based on your glory, this promise is not in effect. If you turn to any other source to meet your needs, this promise is not in effect. God did not say, and my God will supply all your needs no matter where you go to meet those needs. No. He doesn't say, Sam, hey, my God will meet all your needs through your career, through your spouse. He doesn't say that, hey, my God will meet all your needs once you get married. Like, once you have that husband or wife, which is an amazing thing, praise the Lord, then all your needs will be met. No. He says, and my God will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus according to his glory. So you and I have to take a step back and we have to evaluate our lives and say this question right here. Is the needs we're trying to meet, are we going to Christ and do they glorify him? The need that you were looking to meet, whatever need you walked in with tonight, does it glorify Christ and are you going to him? If so, this promise is so encouraging to you. That means if you wake up in the morning and you desire to know Christ, to have your needs met by him and to live a life that's glorifying Ethan and honoring to him, you have a promise that God will supply all your needs. You think about that for a minute. That means you don't have to worry if you end up homeless. You'll know what it was like to be like Jesus. Because if you are living in a way that is glorifying to him, you don't need anything else. You have Christ Jesus, and he will supply all your needs. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. These promises that we have in Scripture are fulfilled when we go to Christ Jesus. But if you're going anywhere else, Costumes, you're going to be disappointed. So whatever need you have, whatever you walked in with tonight, ask yourself, is it for you or is it for Christ? I'll give you one more. Jesus talks about friendship and how we have a friend in Christ. He tells his disciples that. John 15 says this. John 15 verse 9 to 15 says, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. There's a promise with a condition. You'll remain in Christ's love if, if, if you what? Keep my commands. He goes on to say this. I, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for my friends. And then verse 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. We get to enjoy the benefits and the blessing and the honor of being a friend to Jesus, but there's a condition. If we obey. Why? That's unfair. It's because he is your friend, but ultimately he is your Lord. And when you obey, you get the benefits and the blessings of a friendship with Christ Jesus. So I challenge you tonight. In fact, I, I implore you to, if you believe you have a need that's not being met, check the mirror first. Check the mirror first. But not only that, number two, you can fully trust God to meet your needs, and here's why. I'm going to give you four things very quickly, four reasons why you can trust him. I want and ask that this week you would spend time meditating on these four things. You're here tonight. I believe God brought you here tonight for a reason, 
And I believe it's for you to meditate on these four things and take them with you throughout the week to really assess how much you believe these. Here's why. I want four things of why you can trust God to meet your needs. First is God's heart and love for you. Romans 5, 8 says God demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Understand, as encouraging as it is, that one of the driving motivating factors for God to meet the need that you have, the burden you came in with tonight, the heavy heart you have, is his heart for you, his love for you. He loves you. I could spend the next 10 minutes just saying over and over how much God loves you. God loves you. He created you in his image and he loves you. That's why he sent his son down to die a painfully brutal death so that you could have hope in his resurrection and so that you could have a personal relationship with him. Understand, God loves you so much. If your mom and dad know how to give good gifts and they are sinful fleshly people, imagine the good gifts that a holy, righteous, sovereign God can give. If you're worried about finances, God loves you. He wants the best for you and what will make you more like Christ. We're going to get in that in a minute. If you have a need when it comes to loneliness, if you have a need when it comes to depression, God has a heart for you. He loves you. God is near to the brokenhearted. If you have a need in your life, understand God loves you and he knew you would have that need before you were aware of that need. He knew well before you had breath that you would have a need and he cares for you and he loves you. But not only that, number two or B, God's desire to conform you to Christ. God loves you, and because he loves you, he's not going to give you anything that's not going to make you more like Christ. That's not a good gift from him. That is sin. It is temptation. It is what the enemy desires for us to have. God desires for you to be like Christ. The enemy desires for you to be like him and to fall short and to live in bondage, but you don't have to. So understand, God's desire ultimately with giving you gifts, taking care of you and your needs, is to conform you to Christ. If it's not going to make you more like Christ, don't bank on God giving it to you. For years, I wanted to not go to college. For years, I hated the idea of going to college. I had convinced myself the best thing for me was not to go to college. I was convinced, and I did everything I could to get out of college. I believed the best gift that somebody could give me at 17 years old was to not have to go to college. That was the best thing, and I had convinced myself of this. And guys, when I tell you my testimony that you have heard before many times, that I don't even know if I ever really chose to go, go to college. God kind of made me. Like God kind of forced me into it. Like God shoved me through school. Like I couldn't get out of it. All to Cody get a physical education degree for coaching and teaching. Like I'm telling you, when I tried to get out of school, doors opened, opportunities came, people fought for me, family members fought for me to go to school, coaches fought for me to go to school. Like I was made to go to school, I believe, by the Lord. And at the time, I was so mad. I hated it. I didn't want to go to school. And all that time, I had no idea what God was doing, that the best gift I thought somebody could give me was terrible. God was trying to give me a gift in college. Why? Not just to get a degree. It's so much bigger than that. You realize that your life is bigger than that degree you're getting, that job you're working? Is that what you're really banking on for happiness and joy? That degree and that job? Wait till hardship hits. It's not fun. Wait till trials hit. It's not fun. If I was being a pastor, based on just the love of being a pastor, I don't know if I'd still be one. There's trials that come with this. If you're a coach, <laughs> my son played two minutes tonight. Jimmy over there played 20. 
Like if you're in it for that, you're not going to stay long. You're just not. And I was forced into school. God pushed me through. And I came out, I had no idea that God was going to use my life in a way where I minister to college students. I don't just have a degree. I was a missionary while in college. Praise the Lord. God used me. God uses me in your life now as a college student. If I had not gone to college, I don't know how I would speak into your life about college. How can I help guide and, and usher and shepherd you through a season that I never experienced myself? But God, in his amazing goodwill, knew that one day I would minister to 18 to 24-year-olds who are in a pivotal season of life. And a big thing for me might not just be this degree about coaching. It might be so that I can go through the daily grind of waking up for 8 a.m.s, which we all love so much. It might be to know the insecurities and the worries and the pain and the fear that comes with this season of life. And so God pushed me through it. What I thought the best gift somebody could give me was the worst thing that probably could have happened for me, and God pushed me through. What's that for you? I don't know. You do. What good gift is God offering to you that you really don't believe is that good of a gift? But if you trust him, if you be faithful to him, he'll bring you out the other side, not just looking more conformed to Christ, but ultimately impacting people's lives around you, all for his glory, not for yours. I wish I could keep going, but I'm going to give you number three. God's desire for a fresh and daily relationship with you. That is humbling to know that every day you wake up, God wants to walk with you. He wants to know you. He wants to love you. God's desire for a fresh and daily relationship with you. And then lastly, four things to meditate on this week. The last one is God's plan to extend his kingdom. God's plan to extend his kingdom. God wants to meet the needs you have. He is your provider, and here's why. His heart and his love for you, his desire to make you like Christ, his desire to know you daily, and ultimately to extend his kingdom. College students, let me be very honest with you. If I came out of my testimony not using it for good, is that for, listen, everything that God is doing in your life is not just to love you and know you, but to use you. That there is a kingdom happening right now. That there is a real, live kingdom that is here and now. Every time Jesus talked about the kingdom of, the he- the kingdom of heaven, it was present tense. It was not heaven that we're going to one day. It was the here and the now. So understand this. You have a part to play. Like if you are a believer in Christ, you have a part in the kingdom of heaven. You have a role You have a calling. You have an opportunity to watch, extend, and expand his kingdom. There's a kingdom that's not just staying the way it is. It's growing. It's increasing. People are giving their lives to Jesus. People are being added to the family. People are being added into Christ Jesus. And you and I have a part to play in that. That's why he meets our needs. So if he does meet a need for you, whether that's financial or encouragement or love, if you don't take that and use it to glorify him and extend his kingdom what good is it for what good is it for if somebody gives you a cure and you don't take it to anybody else that's around you that's sick do you really believe it's the cure anyway if God has saved you why do others not deserve to hear it if God has provided for you why do you not feel the burden and the conviction to go out there and drive forward the kingdom and be a part of what God is doing.
So whatever need that you have, wherever you are, God will supply all of your needs according to Christ Jesus in his glory if you will seek him.